and welcome to the Work for Women podcast. I'm Christina, your host, and my guests are people who operate at the intersection of science and spirituality. It is my great pleasure today to speak with Teodora Pio. Welcome to the show, Teo. Thank you, Christina. It's, a, it's an honor and a joy to be here with you. It's likewise an honor and a joy to be here with you. And for our listeners, Teodora Pio is a trauma-informed coach and chronic stress specialist, helping people who experience physical or emotional symptoms reclaim health, transform trauma, and release emotions that no longer serve them so they can live their lives aligned to their values and make positive changes. Teo is a deeply wise, kind, and authentic human whom I recently had the pleasure to work with, and I'm really excited to have her on the show today. Um, and with that, I'm going to jump straight into my first question for you, Teo. So if you look back on your professional trajectory as a book, what would its table of contents look like? Oh, I love this question. First of all, it would be the beginnings. Um, then um, like the U-turn, how things progressed, where they are now, and where are we going? Mm. Want to share a bit more on that? Definitely, yes, in terms of yeah, the, the beginnings, like everyone's beginning, our childhood and how we grew up. And I always, not only me, believe, but a lot of the scientific research share, shares that our early experience experiences shape really shape who we who we are and who we can be in the world but of course it's it's a blueprint it's not the foundation it's not the house it's just the blueprint of the house and then the u-turn will be in a way some of the experiences that um in a way where when we have a dip but in the dip or we say or how i like to say going into the underworld or meeting hades mm. uh, really helps us to see ourselves differently and then it's it's the up um, journey in terms of how it's going, how we discover ourselves. And also, I do believe in the power of curiosity and really experiencing and really practicing the muscle of being okay with the unknown. Mm. So oh. also from a spirit, spiritual perspective, it is like we create things from the unknown, from the blackness. I love that. Um, I we, we had a couple of uh of chats so so for our listeners though and i met i think it was earlier this year though right wow that time does go by quickly and we we did already have a couple of chats in addition to to uh me being Tao's client and this this idea of the underworld um, and the unknown came up and it's something i personally deeply resonate with and i i want to use that to to take us into the second um, question that I have for you, because I think it would be very valuable for our listeners to understand a little bit more about your work and your philosophy. Um, so tell us a bit more about your work as a trauma-informed coach, uh, because um, I, I know that you had a career pivot at one point as well. So I really want to ask you, you know, what led you to decide to take this path um, and what modalities do you work with? Thank you. Uh, yes, my background is in law and uh, IT. I am a multifaceted person, but I think most of us are. 
Um, and yes, my journey started with my own, in a way, challenges with anxiety, depression. And I came across a program uh, called the Lightning Process, which is like a brain retraining program. And then in a way, that was the, you know, the U-turn, the pivot point of my life, where that program really helped me see myself differently, coaching myself and really help heal, integrate some of those anxiety or depression patterns. Um, and I knew, oh my gosh, um, if I can do that, if I can be okay, then there is hope for other people and I would love to, to do that. And then in um, a few years later, I started my training. So my background or my journey into the coaching industry or into the trauma coaching industry specifically started off with that brain training. But then what happened is I got to a point where it plateaued and I was noticing I was getting some other symptoms, some other ways of being that weren't necessarily working. It wasn't okay for me. And I was starting to thinking, I started to think, oh my God, what's going on? What is happening? Why the tools that I had up until that point weren't working or weren't working to help me move beyond a certain point of where I was in my health. And then I started digging, sort of say, but I also say it's, I always follow the synchronicities. This is something that I learned along my journey. It's like, okay, when something happens, it's like, how can I engage from that place of curiosity to see what's going on? Not from a place of what's wrong with me, what's happening, but it's like, okay, what are the signs? What is this, is this trying to tell me? So then I was uh, fortunate enough to come across mentors, people that really helped me to understand that there is more than the, not only the physical world, but more than the presenting problem and it's about looking what's behind it and of course what's behind it is a lot of chronic stress toxic stress and like most of us experience trauma various uh, degrees and in a way that's when i realized ah okay everything perhaps that i was experiencing i don't know physical level emotional mental level it made sense it made total sense and this is again going back to we were saying about the book, the beginnings, is like how our earlier experiences really do shape um, um, us. So that's how I came in a way into the, the, the trauma-informed space. But the way I work, it's using working with the nervous system, working with emotions from a place of curiosity, inquiring, really working on processing our emotions. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I really have a passion for Eastern philosophy as well but combined with western practices neuroscience and finding a way to blend them together and the same i'm a big believer in yeah um, sound healing and uh, chinese medicine uh, which the same there are um, researches that show that yes it's it's not necessarily woo -woo. Um, things that work so yeah that's how i operate Wow, it 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 really it really ties back to to your share about the underworld because it sounds like it sounds like you did go through your own personal underworld, you know, came out the other end. Well, I guess loosely speaking, being a lifelong journey, but you know, you have that firsthand experience. And I think this there's so many ways of knowing. Um and this, sometimes we, we tend to, I guess in the Western world, we tend to forget about this, the value of, in addition to 
things we can study externally, things we can study from scientific research, which are valuable in and of themselves. Also the knowing that you get from direct experience. Um, I feel we, we probably have to get a little bit closer to that. Is that also what you find when you try to blend the two? What, what insights do you have from there? Yes, absolutely. And I very much resonate with that. And that's why sometimes I don't find it easy to explain my own work. And I always say it's not something that it's best spoken about. It's something that is deeply experiential. Mm. And also because we do have unique experiences. We are highly complex human beings with highly complex human experiences. And if we go into this world with also highly complex spiritual experiences as well. Yeah, so yes, it's very much experiential. And the same is like when we engage in curiosity into that state of all wonder, but also intention, it really helps us not in a way to pathologize, to look at, oh, how we should be, or we might be because of that. No, it's about exploring what might be happening in someone's internal world and in the inner landscape. Mm. I'm, I'm just taking all that you said in because this is something that's that's present right now in my journey as well and you know you mentioned synchronicity so it's something i keep seeing popping in different places and now you say it as well you know this that this value of internal experience and how we're all so different and we try to capture and simplify and yes there's a value in in explaining our experiences in terms that are, can be generalized and at the same time i feel we we need to honor that we're very individual being and beings and to honor what we know um and it's it, it's something that especially navigating this area between science and spirituality what I find is that there's a lot of shades of gray. So there comes a point at which you look for confirmation to external sources, but there also comes a point where you need to use your discernment and ask yourself, you know, what makes sense and what doesn't in your individual case. And there, there's just so much unknown actually coming yes. back to it. Yes. And what I would also say is not only the unknown, but it's also the nuances. Mm that everything has a, a nuance to it, but also the nuances that we can see or the perspective that we see, it's also based on our experiences, but also our perception. So once again, there's another, another whole set of layers there. <laughs> Uh, I'd, I'd love to expand uh, more on this uh, with you. Um, because there were a couple of things we talked about in our private chats that I would like to, to bring to our audience as well, um, to really to bring the, to light this idea of nuance and you know how we look for black and white answers, but actually they might be more gray than we realize sometimes and maybe we should let that be okay. Um, so let me go into my next question for you. Um, so in, in, in one of our recent chats, you told me about attending a particular workshop uh, of Lynn McTaggart. Uh, so for our listeners, uh, she's a journalist and author 
whose work is focused on healing via leveraging group invention. Um, and the workshop Doe was attending um, was based on her power of eight technique. So to describe what the power of eight technique is, and this is something I got from uh, Lynn McTaggart's website, um, when individuals in a group focus their intention together on a single target, a powerful co collective dynamic emerges that can heal long-standing conditions, mend fractured relationships, lower violence, and even rekindle life purpose. So, so that's the that's the claim um, behind this technique. And though, because you had direct experience with this workshop, can you share what that was like for you as a participant? Yes, um, so the workshop that I um, attended, it was part of the co the conference of consciousness and human evolution. So mm -hmm. even that in itself. So I think also because we were there for three days with a lot of um, world-renowned speakers in terms of your yeah, spirituality, but also science, their own research that they do. So I think there was also a collective energy of what was uh, possible. And this workshop is always about her presenting her work, showing in a way videos and research. She also did a lot with the, uh, with the power, with the intention experiments, which is a different one to the power of eight, with the intention experiment of where, where she took it into Jerusalem. So even the conflict between Israel and Palestine and how it really helped people to actually bring a bit more of a level of, uh, of calm through, through the work that they did. Long story short, she was presenting all of this work and everything, and it was about then experiencing for ourselves how mm. that might look like. So imagine we were in a room, I don't know, 500 people or more. And then out of this, well, 500 people, we were um, put into small groups of eight. So we're basically turning around our chairs and being in a round in a circle of uh, eight people. And within that eight people, um, someone, if we were to have a, any kind of problem, health problem or challenge, uh, if they would like to be like a volunteer. And what does that mean is that they will just be there in a way with intention, receive. So be the receiver. Mm -hmm. And the other seven people, me included, in like in a way through a meditation by closing the eyes and also visualizing from the heart um for the heart space having a focus an intention like a prayer but not necessarily a prayer towards that person mm -hmm. and constantly visualizing that how your how your intention how your i don't know compassion healing light anything that goes towards that that person and i personally believe that and also from her research and from many groups that are happening around the world using the the power of eight experiment it's in a way proven that not only that the person that is on the receiving end can benefit but also everyone else within the group um, as a giver sort of say i experience really profound connection um, not only to the group but also to myself and that really profound gratitude for being able to do that so there's no more like an i don't know how you call it like an energetic shift that i noticed so really really profound and also within that workshop because we also do like some heart intention thing i felt my heart like i've never felt before and that's another thing because that's also when my 
my journey towards the heart intelligence and really discovering what's happening within the heart really began because I experienced that in that in that moment. Um, but then what happened after the the intention um, exercise? Um, she asked if we anyone noticed anything. There's anything anyone would like to share. So there were a few shares, um, but one in specific that stood out was someone that was more towards the front. Uh, she was in a, I think she was in a wheelchair. She had had uh, back problems not being able to walk, but she felt that energy and all of a sudden she was able to stand up from her wheelchair and she wasn't able to do that in a, in a few years and that was in a way very, very, very profound and really beautiful to honour to honor and to witness and it's like, a as we call it, miracles, but we know miracles are more than... Um, instant but also they can be can be instant uh, yeah it was really beautiful and also what it was really really profound was that at the end the um, um, presenter of the conference she asked everyone all of us to put our intention into Lynn because she has some health problems and she didn't expect that and it was really beautiful for 10 minutes 500 people to open their hearts and put their intention of healing and compassion and kindness for for her. So that was really, really profound. Wow. It you when you didn't share this last part with me when we spoke privately. So this this does sound it does sound like a beautiful moment. And you know when you when you told me the story of the woman who stood up it, it 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 that that was something that really stayed with me after our chat and it was interesting because my first reaction was oh wow you know that's so you know i i i was i was willing to to, to be there to believe that um and then i had my analytical mind kick in and of course that's part of my journey right to <laughs> reconciling um uh these these sides um and I thought, and I think this is where nuance comes in. So just to give a, a bit of background of where I'm coming from, looking at this specific story that you share, um, on a personal level, uh, I do believe in the concept of a collective consciousness. Um, I think scientifically, you know, you have science pointing to, to there, so you know there's... Um, um, the, there, there is a shown correlation, for example, between uh, uh, big world events like 9-11 and uh, the behavior of random number generators. So they, they do deviate from randomness. And there is that correlation there. So we can't say, of course, we can't say it's, it's caused by that necessarily. We can't jump straight to collective consciousness. But what I am saying is that looking at the body of research, there's all these things that point that yes perhaps there is a it does leave open the possibility that you know consciousness is a bit more than this thing that our brain does and it's kind of you know located here or in our body at most that it is in fact not local and extends beyond that and perhaps we're all connected at a deeper level than we realize so this is where the openness comes from um and i and i also have this very strong sense of responsibility um and taking taking 
things, you know, not in a black and white way, but really looking at the nuance and really parsing what is real, what is not, you know. Um, I feel, so yes, I, I do believe in the possibility of a collective consciousness. Uh, what came out to me after you told me that story, after I reflected on it a little bit was, you know, with, with people and organizations who do this type of work or, you know, who do any sort of healing work that does turn a profit. And, and I'm not talking about this workshop or linen, you know, in particular, this is more of a general question. It, it does make you think that at one point, even if it starts from, you know, from scientific evidence that seems to point one way, there could come a point at which profit trumps honesty right and it, it other things human flaws you know and other kinds of temptations could could come in and you could have foul play you know one of my thoughts was well you know you could have someone like that woman who stood up again i'm not talking about her in particular but you could have people in the audience uh planted there you know to make things seem like they're more than they are or to ensure that there's an effect uh, even if the technique would elicit an effect, it doesn't hurt to, to have a surefire way to have something there. Um, the way I think about it really is the same as mediums. If you look historically at mediums, you know, of course, there's been uh, what I believe to be genuine ones uh, and what also what has been proven to be fake um, mediums who had people planted in the audience and all that. But a thought that I had one day was, well, if you have a genuine medium, who does um, have the skills that they claim to have and they rise to fame and they can't actually, they get all these pressures and they can't elicit the, um, you know, the information that they're expected to like that, which seems to be the case, you know, with, with these type of phenomena um, uh, that they're a little bit more elusive than we'd like them to be, then wouldn't they be tempted to cheat eventually, you know? And if that's the case, how can we, to cut a long story short, how can we protect people looking for healing who are in a vulnerable position from that happening to them? What, what are your thoughts there? What could even be done to keep this open-mindedness, to keep this exploration open, but at the same time to make sure people in need are not taken advantage of? Absolutely, and I totally agree with what you said. And I would, the first thing that comes to me when you, when you ask that question, first of all, like you said earlier, it's about that discernment. And about finding out for yourself and yes i agree like in everything and of course we have the, the light and we have the darkness and mm. they coexist and they have done since forever um and yes with anything that is good there will be a shadow to it and yes i agree and it's been it's been seen many times when someone yes even a medium or any form of healing or shamans or anything there are genuine ones and they are yes fake ones but i would say yes even genuine ones yes like you said about if they rise to fame uh, if there's too much pressure then perhaps yes they gift may not be the same and i personally from everything a lot of the things that i've read or i've seen or experienced i personally believe so that's my own belief um it's also when it comes to the gift because the same we all have the gift we have a gift a gift yes it is a gift but we all have this innate ability mm. to see to see more than the matter to see more than the physical realm just we don't necessarily access it either because we don't want to because we don't believe so 
or for various other reasons. But when someone can really deeply access this gift, what I would say is if they use it perhaps for not so good reasons, maybe that gift said, like, hold on a minute, maybe will stop. Because of course, through the intention for everything that we use, if we're using fear, if we're using through pressure, if we're using through methods that are not so useful, that can that can stop. So in terms of people in a way really making sure that they don't get tricked or anything, it's about using their discernment. And really seeing for themselves what works to really check in with themselves, with their gut instinct. Um, and really, yeah, seeing for themselves. But of course, we also have the placebo effect. So even this, like you said about the, the about this lady, about the experiment, if, and of course, placebos have been tested or tested or, yeah. Um, in the main, it's coming more into the mainstream. But of course, with the placebo, is if we believe in it, it will have more of an impact. And that is either using surgery, medication, prayer, an intention experiment, or anything. So the placebo effect in our belief system, in our perception, in our intentions, those are all layers that can help us to see something if it's good for us or if it's not good for us. I hope my answer makes sense. It it, it, it completely does. And it's, um, I'm happy you mentioned the placebo effect because to me, it's sometimes it's used as a lazy explanation in my view, because I feel there, there are those who stop at, well, this happened, this sort of healing happened. It was placebo, full stop. And that, I find that you know, I find that is the point at which you need to push, you know, because, well, it's, it happened because you believed in it, right, at the end of the day. So, okay, so what is the deal with the belief and what's the mechanism behind that? And we're coming back to intentionality. So I feel that's where the interesting question starts, really. Uh, <laughs> it's not really. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And also what I want to mention um, now in terms of even with this lady healing and in terms of with, with healing and with the placebo effect, I found really interesting. Um, so in a book called Cured by doc, Dr. Jeff um, um, Rediger, is an American psychiatrist anyway, he spends almost 20 years researching spontaneous healing. Mm -hmm. And of course, through his medical training and all of that, he thought, oh my God, I need to have really good cases and to showcast exactly to see when they were diagnosed to have evidence of the diagnosed when they were cured evidence that the illness is not there and everything but one case that really stood up for me in his book which i highly recommend to everyone um, is this guy that had a very rare form of uh, cancer I think, and he was going to various scans, but all of a sudden, so he had literally had a spontaneous healing and he was documented. Mm -hmm. So he had a diagnosis of this rare cancer and then he went uh, for an MRI scan. And literally while he was in the MRI scan, he thought that this is how the lights in the MRI scan work. But all of a sudden he felt like he was outside of his body, mm -hmm. so like an out-of-body experience or he felt this this light this colors 
and he had an amazing experience, but he didn't make anything out of it. He thought, okay, maybe this is what some everyone experiences in an MRI scan. <laughs> so he didn't make anything out of it, and he didn't go with any intention or anything. Mm-hmm. But what happened after that, when they looked at the results, there was no cancer. Oh. So whatever he experienced in that MRI scan, something happened. Was there nothing else that happened besides him having the spontaneous experience? Not at that point. That's really interesting. We're going to link the, the book in the show notes. So yeah. our listeners- and it's a book that I highly, yes, it's a book that I highly recommend. And yes, in the same, one of the reasons he speaks about the, the book, it's about really a case of spontaneous healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the, yes, he had this diagnosis and also, also the, some of the researchers, some of the people that are really interested interested to see what is going on with MRI scan because an MRI scan is different than a CT scan mm-hmm. because MRI it doesn't it's not invasive so it's about the the how the atomic particles and all of that really change the atomic particles within ourselves and our cells so something happens and there have been other cases where they've been shown that someone going into an MRI scan it really helps with depression oh with anxiety and all of that. I found it really, really fascinating. And so, the way he explains it in the book, he links it in talking about the um, the observer in, in quantum physics, the observer experiment. So highly recommend it. I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> so what I hear is they suspect the spontaneous healing, at least in that case, might have had something to do with the MRI itself, with, with the equipment. Yes, and the, yes, the imaging, because what happens is, I think in, in the, yeah, the... The imaging with the radio it's radio frequencies and the radio frequencies something happens yes with the atomic particles which somehow the atomic particles change something in the, but it also it wasn't that everything that was happening on a physical on a matter phys- he had this visualization he mm. had this image of lights or things happening and something happening within his body so there was more also than the what the eyes can see and that's yeah. why I also find fascinating about the observer experiment in terms of quantum physics and what happens is when we, when someone looks at the particles, what happens to that particle? Mm. Yeah, there, there's certainly that interpretation um, in quantum physics. Like last year, I started dipping my toes in it a little bit because it is, it is something uh, I kept stumbling on whenever I investigated phenomena like this. You know, someone would offer an interpretation that they related to quantum physics and it's it's something I always bring up just to be um skeptical around this is everything else uh not in the sense that it it couldn't be related to it maybe it could um but as I understand that there's a lot of interpretations that physicists offer as well uh for that type of phenomena so there's not um, the, the physicists in our audience, please forgive me if I happen to say something um, uh, incorrect, though I'm hoping that's not the case. Uh, but yes, but there are multiple interpretations. They're not, there's not really full consensus there either. And uh, talking about, you know, very quantum micro, very small type of 
you know, very small scale type of phenomena might not necessarily translate one-on-one -on -one to macro. And that's something I always take with me and I always bring up, not to stifle creativity, because that's what I like um, a lot about your philosophy uh, uh, to, to, to work and to life though, because I think we should keep curiosity open. I think sometimes we close the door way too soon on that. And that's deeply unscientific. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just wanted to bring that because I think today we're stumbling a lot upon a nuance and on, on this balance of yes, offering interpretations, yes, exploring, and also um, being very present and using our discernment to, to you know, to, to really separate what's likely to be real from what's more likely to not be real. And notice how I use likely, even that's very nuanced in and of itself, right? Uh, but you mentioned something twice that I want to ask you more about. You talk about uh, something more than the eyes can see uh, beyond matter. Um, did you have any experiences aside from the ones that you've already shared that indicate to you that there's more to reality than what we normally perceive through our say ordinary senses yes i i had but then of course even that is depending on what we mean by what we can see behind the behind the eyes um with our mind's eye yes i have had some experiences some of them are way more tangible some less tangible um for example many many years ago um i I would say I had I had quite a few miracles in my life, um, but one of them is uh, many years ago I was due to study um, a postgraduate um, law degree, uh, but then something happened and all of a sudden I was just about to pay my first instalment and my life completely changed and I was in no position to be able to to do that and. I was like, okay, let's see what happens. And I remember my 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 mom was very very worried. What are we gonna do? But I just had this inner knowing. I just said, I have no idea how. I have no idea. But there was this deep trust that something will happen. I don't know how, but something will happen. And also, perhaps no coincidence, but I remember at the time, the secret came up. And I'm not necessarily. There's way more behind um behind that but i do remember that at the time i was reading the the secret and uh, and i said oh that's interesting but i had just this deep trust this inner trust and a week later my, we were talking to a friend and we were saying but i wasn't necessarily a worry or not necessarily asking for money no nothing we're just talking to to a friend and uh, we said, oh, I'm about to start the school, but I don't know where, <laughs> quite how the, where the money will come. I can't manifest them right now. And then a few days later, she said she's spoken to her husband. Um, and she said, well, we're going to lend you the money. Out of, I was out of nowhere. I never asked. I never said they have to be a certain way. It just happened. It just happened. And that was one of those moments when I said, oh my God. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. 
I think with these personal experiences, I love what you said, depends well, what is um, what is meaningful to you, right? What, what, what do you mean by something personally, by something beyond our senses? Because I, I have had stories like this in the past and ever since I, I started focusing on this intersection of science and spirituality, I, my impression is, you know, um, people around me have been a little bit more open about their own stories. And, you know, sometimes we hold them behind if we fear judgment, right? So I, I appreciate you sharing that. And I resonate with this idea of them being meaningful, um, especially in a subjective way to us. Like just the other day, I found myself telling someone a story about this dream I had. Um, so uh, for our listeners who don't know, I, I recently uh, relocated back to Scotland in my case. Um, and um, I, in the past few years, I used to have this recurring dream of one of the beaches in the town I moved back to. This is my former university town. And I would just have this deep desire to, to just go there. Um, and I couldn't manage. I think only once that I actually managed to go. And I was always so disappointed that I couldn't manage. It was all, almost like a pool there. And at, the, at that point, I didn't. It wasn't even a faint thought in my mind that I would come back here. You know, I, 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 I thought that was completely, you know, off the table. And, and I found myself uh, telling the story the other day. Um, and there was something about that interaction. It was taken very seriously. It's not that, but there was also that feeling of it doesn't feel significant enough to share. But it, but it does feel to me. So I know what you mean. Sometimes to, to a third party, it might yes. feel significant, but it's the feeling, right? Coming back to your experience. Absolutely, yes. And, and the feelings to, to drive that. And in terms of a slightly different um, experience that I had, but the same, it showed me, it was actually even, even more tangible in terms of what's possible in how we perceive reality. I remember the same, I think it was about in 2019, um, I, I explored many things in many modalities, but not, not also uh, neuroscience or trauma-based or anything, but also spirituality mm -hmm. and lots of things. And one of the things that I experienced with, um, experimented with as well, um, not sure if you heard Barbara Brennan, School of uh, Energy. Mm -hmm. It's an American. She worked, Barbara Brennan, I think she worked for NASA. And then all of a sudden she moved into more spirituality and she opened her own yeah, school of energy. Uh, and it's all about actually working with the hands. Um, and I think she has a workshop or one of her first book, Light of Hands. So basically in a way becoming the energy and how through the power of our hands, we have a lot of energy here and we can in a way heal. Long story short, I went to this workshop and working with the, with the hands. But one of the exercises now to access deep intuition was working with a partner um, but it was actually how perhaps we can get information by holding an object mm. and that was really profound for me because I was working with this lady we were partnering and then she gave me her watch so basically in being a meditative state is about me holding the watch so I was holding the watch in one hand and the other hand um, I'm not sure if touching her knee or her shoulder, I think it was her knee. So in a way connecting that, so in a way being like a like a channel sort of say. And I was really amazed because 
all of a sudden I was getting these images, images, thoughts, and it was this beautiful, it was an image of a, um, of a ship, um, of a, a cruise, cruise ship, and the sea, and a guy, uh, an older guy, and um, like a path, and everything, and all of this, and it's like ancient, something, and it was the, the word ancient, I remember so vividly, it was the word ancient coming up, and connection, and at the end, when I said that to her, she started crying, and she said that this watch that I was holding, it was her father's watch, and he used to love going on cruises. Oh wow! And on the funeral, at the funeral, this was actually her inheritance. So it was, and it was an old watch because it also belonged to his father. So we had that antique, ancient feeling, but also the photo because I could see this clear image of him or something and behind like a cruise ship and she said that this photo of him with the cruise ship behind him it was the photo that he had at the funeral wow <laughs> i i don't even know what to say <laughs> that, that sounds like a really impactful experience yes and i had no way of knowing him i've never seen that woman before or after that workshop and it was just by holding that watch. And it wasn't anything. And I and it was all of this information, the way coming in, images, words, things that were coming. I didn't know what to do with them. And I didn't necessarily touch any meaning. But when I was saying them aloud, she made sense of them. And that was really powerful for me. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. It, it is, you're not alone in having this type of experience. And, you know, it's, it does really open those doors to curiosity around, well, what is, what is really the deal with our lives and our consciousness and what we can and cannot perceive. So I think it, it's so valuable you and everyone who experiences things like this to share them and to normalize them um, so that you know we start having that discussion also at at a wider societal level you know aside from spiritual circles or very niche academic circles or an overlap of that um, yeah let me let me shift gears a little bit because you also talked about something I think would be very valuable for our listeners to learn more about um, your heart and connecting uh, to your heart. And you mentioned Lynn McDaggart's workshop as being um, the first step in, in you building that deeper relationship. Um, and I know that today you are a heart math coach. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about that journey of, the heart, what heart mat is, just immerse us into that world for a bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the same, um, the journey into the heart started about that similar uh, time, or I should know a bit before, it was the same about 2019, um, where all of a sudden I was 
receiving all of this information about the heart, which the same synchronicities, the more we see them, the more they appear into our life. Um, and it was, no, the first, the first thing it was, I uh, discovered like, um, let's say one of my, my spiritual experiences was um, Melchizedek with the flower of life. Um, yeah, Durm Bablo Melchizedek with the flower of life and also um, um, awakening the uh, illuminated heart is a workshop of four days of how you can connect deeply with, with the heart. And I remember the same when I started looking into the heart and everything. I first went on to the more spiritual side, so this, and then there was also heart imagery, which is a type of meditation, various uh, short meditations, which connects into the heart space, and then you see what kind of visuals you, you get, which you can make sense of, or not necessarily, but very profound. And it was the same in the same workshop that also um, Greg Braden uh, and... Um, uh, Joe Dispenza, Elling Metagat spoke about the heart intelligence. And the same in that workshop, we one of uh, Greg Braden's um, talk at the end, we did um, a heart coherence meditation. And the same, I felt my heart <laughs> like I never thought it was possible. And the way I see, and I know when I experience it like that, it's it feels a bit like, in a way, like a like a pain, but it's not a pain. It's just a profound sense of the heart uh, space. And then I thought, God, because he was talking about the Institute of Heart Math and some of the research they did, and I thought really, really interested about that. Um, so in um, just before the pandemic, I after doing a lot of research, I decided to to train as a heart math coach, and it's also about understanding this: what our heart holds what it is our heart and the heart math institute over the last 25 or 30 years a bunch of uh, scientists now uh, so well, they started looking into what's happening with the heart the heart intelligence but also in a way the electromagnetic fields um, how the heart is the deep sense of intuition and emotions, how our emotions can impact our heart or how the way we respond, we react. They also developed the technology. So it's um, in a balance, which is a, a monitor, which measures the heart rate variability. Mm. And one of the things that really fascinates me, but also from my own practice, um, it's about what the heart can hold. And of course, we know the brain, the brain has millions of neurons. But in about, I think in 1991, um, it was discovered, I think in Montreal, that when they were doing some research into the heart, that the heart, it's also called the little brain. And of course, we know about the gut brain. So we know, we, and basically we have three brains. We have the higher brain, the heart is the middle brain, and the gut is the lower brain. And we know about, they talk about the gut brain, but not so much about the heart brain. But it is, and it has been proven that the heart has its own intelligence. Why? Because the heart has its own sets of neurons. It has 40,000 neurons, which are called sensory neurites. So what that means, the information comes into the heart, but there's also information coming from the heart into the brain. And of course, now we know more because also the heart is connected to the vagus nerve. So 
by understanding this and also the heart how is the the, the the seat of our deep intuition and when we bring this coherence which is that this balance between the heart and the mind we experience life differently we respond to life differently we act more from a place of compassion presence calm and i find that fascinating has, has that been your personal experience, uh, being on this path? Yes. And the same, I find that, especially if I do longer meditation, but also connecting back into the heart, that I can get different um, sensory experiences, different visual experiences, like imagery coming up that I wouldn't necessarily get it any other way mm -hmm. of course we know as i said the heart it has the strongest magnetic field so of course in terms of you know we we uh, are in in a way in resonance with other people through our heart and how that drives most of well all of the systems into our into our body um and also i like to refer for example the the chinese in chinese medicine we know that the brain was for example discarded and in Chinese medicine the heart is called the Jade Emperor and all of the other organs work are in the service of the Jade Emperor which is the heart so it's putting the heart at the center rather than the brain which seems to be a more western view yes mm. yeah you know, I I've done um, I've done a little bit of research into heart math uh, before uh, before having this discussion um, because I understand what you mean about ex the experiential side of of setting that intention to connect with your heart. It's it's a practice I I, I try to integrate into my own life as well. So there's. The personal experience is certainly pointing for me to explore more of this. This is interesting, you know. Um, and I also knew from research, for example, that um, I, I, I will I will dig it up and I will put it in the show notes. There was uh, this one study that showed. I think I would have to refer back to it, but I think it was. Uh, significant changes in heart rate basically before certain disturbing or you know otherwise arousing stimuli so almost like a sort of presentiment um it's kind of what it looked like right so it wasn't you know I see this disturbing image and then my heart accelerates it was rather my heart accelerated before seeing um the image i believe this is what they were measuring but i will link this in the show notes for everyone to have a look at who's interested so that being said both both experientially and and also you know um from a scientific lens i think there's there's certainly something to explore there so heart math did stand out to me uh when you mentioned you were certified in that so i had a look at their website um and something else i want to put in the show notes um is uh, some criticism that I found just in service of allowing our listeners, you know, to see all, all sides of the argument. Um, something that stood out to me that I would love to discuss with you and pick your brain and heart on um, as, as a heart math coach is 
when I looked at their website and I looked at one of the free trainings they had, I think they were explaining their concepts, like a series of videos that you can also uh, download transcripts for. Um, they had a certain paragraph that stood out to me. Um, I, I have to admit it in a negative way. Uh, specifically, they said, um, so they were talking about heart coherence. No, they were talking about coherence. And actually, though, um, can you just quickly define coherence for us before I go into this uh, into this quote? Simply, it's a state of balance. It's a two-way communication. When our heart and our brain are in the state of balance, mm -hmm. we begin to have more calm and we begin to, in a way, to be more aligned with ourselves. Mm -hmm. But coherence, in a way, it's a state of when our physical, emotional, and mental state are all in equilibrium. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about achieving um, yes. sense of balance. Um, so the way they describe it here is coherence refers to the cooperative alignment between heart, mind, and emotions that allows more spirit, and I'll, I'll underline spirit, to infuse our system. Uh, practicing heart coherence for even a few minutes lifts your vibration. I'll, underscore that lifts your vibration as well, uh, making it possible for your heart's intuition. Uh, I'll put a question mark next to intuition as well to inform your attitudes, discernment and choices. Why am I picking on, on this quote? It, I found that it was, to me, it felt like a little bit of a slippery slope because I was, I think it was one of the PDFs that was concerning the science behind, which I was interested in. And I felt it started off from the scientific backing. And then it went into something that to me looked like new age spirituality. And our listeners, especially uh, those who already follow my work, know I, I don't have any issue on, on any side of this. I just didn't, it was unexpected. And again, coming back to that sense of responsibility and of knowing, of consent and of, um, you know, protecting the people who are looking for healing to some extent, I felt there is this validity derived from scientific research, but then these spiritual terms made their way in, in a way that was not acknowledged. Um, and it didn't sit well with me. Is this something that you noticed during your training or was it ever addressed? Uh, no, I, I definitely think that the, um, the creators of uh, HeartMath, um, they are quite spiritual people. Um, I did so, of course, even the HeartMath Institute is split into various um, areas. So they have the institute where they do a lot of research. They have also a part where they do the training. And mm -hmm. I did my training in the UK, which mm -hmm. are certified trainers from uh, HeartMath. Um, and my training in UK, yeah, not, not necessarily. There is an element of that towards the end, but it's about presenting the, the science, presenting the technology, and some of the tools, how to get there. There's just sim simple, but very profound in the way, meditations or tools, how to access that heart, heart intelligence. And of course, for example, you can, you can use it in a way to ask questions. You can use it like in kind of in a way meditation to ask questions or to get more in touch with your heart or what you truly desire. But for example, from a personal belief and experience and the same with, with, research and everything we sometimes we get so we can get so focused on oh but show me the backing show me the data that we actually forget that in anything that we do in anything that we are there is something that is way above us 
around us that we cannot actually physically touch. And we kind of have taken the spirit out of everything that we do. Because, hey, in the Western civilization, for the last 300 years, Descartes made sure we get to the stage of where we are right now. Where we're in a way split. And we think only the brain, only think that, and we forget everything that's coming from here down. Mm. So, yes, but also, I agree, and I'm, I'm not sure if they changed this this uh, recently, but I don't remember, yeah, look, seeing the, the spirit thing, so very, very well... Uh, so, and, I, and I do believe, yes, especially if they're talking about more on the science stuff and everything, perhaps, yes, some of the words words are important, words create our reality, it can have that yeah, interference. Um, but personally, no, from my experience, yes, in working with them and training with them, didn't necessarily quite, yeah, quite see that, even from their, from their trainings. Yeah thank you for thank you for sharing that and you know i'm i'm with you and i i know we have a similar uh, philosophy on life in the sense that we we do both lean more spiritual um and this is this is why i find it really important to put this at the forefront because for me i realized what happened here it stood out to me because um i am guessing the whoever wrote that report whoever shaped that report their bias was showing through at that point um, and I think we need to tread really, really carefully, especially at this intersection of science and spirituality, because there will be people who are interested in the science, but not in the spirituality. There are people who would never identify as spiritual. And I don't think, I think they could be put off um, uh, by such mentions. That's one thing. But the other that I'm concerned about is that we take a legitimacy from science and give it to spiritual concepts that I'm not saying should not have their own legitimacy it, wherever it's warranted. I just don't think they should take it from the scientific side. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? I think we should be very clear. This is this, this is that. And when they do intersect, we're serious about that. But I feel we need to bring them together responsibly if we want to get to the truth. That's where I'm going. Yeah. 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 yeah um yeah thank you so much for engaging with me on this discussion because i think there's what do you think about this i think there's two extremes that we can fall into this is what i see one is very dogmatic very rejecting everything that has even a a hint of what we perceive to be woo-woo you know just closing your eyes just saying there's no point in me looking at that it just sounds ridiculous which is, I will repeat, not a scientific attitude. Um, and then on the other hand, of course, we, we have this susceptibility of um, organizations and even people who started off with good intentions, perhaps, but then, you know, they could get corrupted on the way it may happen. So I know I'm leading on a very, a very dark, I have a very dark slant here, but I think it's important. And I think it's something that now we need to be mindful of what 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 kind of what kind of solutions do you see to that though? How how can we even begin to to address that at an individual level? Hmm. Experimenting, seeing <laughs> for our for ourselves. But every time we experience something, every time we we do something, or yeah, we experiment just to really check in with ourselves and see how we how we feel about that, and keeping an open mind to the science and to the more non-logical 
things. And of course, it's about in the way the logical side, the more on the masculine side, and the more flowing intuition stuff, more on the, on the feminine, masculine, feminine, if if that's okay to, to say. But also, it's something that even when, as you were talking, it kept on coming, so I'm just going to say it. Um, there's a quote by Joe Dispenza, which I really, really like, not necessarily in this context, but I think it's very relevant for this context. He always says that this is a time not only to know, but to know how. And what I personally think where we are in this time of history, where there is in a way we have the technology to prove scientific is some things. This is the time that we don't only need to know how we can know how. Mm. But what I would say, it's also very important to keep an open mind. And like you said, it's about not closing the door to everything. And from also from what I've read, I know there's also people in the scientific field that do have spiritual things. They do believe in, they do all sorts of research, but exactly. they're really afraid to, to bring that in. They're really afraid to be pushed aside, not being believed, not being credited enough to bring all of their not only personal experience, but also scientific experience. I agree. Um, there's definitely a lot of people in the scientific community who have the sorts of experiences we've been talking about um, firsthand or just experiences they can't explain who would be interested in studying these topics, but feel uh, you know, they they would be sabotaging their careers doing so, and sadly, it's not an unfounded fear. There's a lot of that um, happening there. I think from my side, I, I like I like this idea of you know, I definitely agree. Keep an open mind, don't close the door. Keep curiosity. Uh, we're coming back to that, um, and I would also say you know, yeah, look at it for, for God's sake, look at it, and also. Don't be afraid to criticize it. Uh, so just one concrete examples from what I've been looking at in preparation for this interview. I, um, I'm coming back to Lynn McTaggart. So I was looking at her website and she, she has a page um, uh, with, with the evidence behind her work. So it's just titled evidence. I will link it in the show notes. So I just downloaded uh, the studies to look at them. And uh, what stood out to me is that they, they are not published in academic journals. They are not peer-reviewed. Um, uh, for our listeners, peer review is essentially quality control. You can think of it as vetting or double-checking of studies by expert in the field, you know, to make sure the work is scientifically sound. It's a standard practice um, in, in scientific research. And this is not to say that what she and her collaborators found cannot be true. It's just to say there's that layer they're missing, uh, which for me leaves a question mark. So I don't close the door. I'd rather, you know, I, but I do want to see more evidence kind of thing. And yeah, this is how I personally approach it. Um, but yeah, I think we need a blend of the inner and the outer knowledge. Absolutely. Oh. And also to have to continue to have these conversations. Mm. Because also it's about doing our own individual work, but it's about the collective and bringing those ideas, talking about ideas, sharing them. Because also when we share them, when we talk about it, it helps us to make sense of it as well. And to be open to different perspectives and to be open to criticism and to be open to see also what am I missing? What is it that I don't see? Questioning. And at the same time, 
believing and trusting. It's almost like a paradox. It's not a paradox, but it, it, there is a tension there between, between trusting um, and questioning. But that's, that's the journey. And, you know, this feels like a good time to go into, into my next question for you because um, let's talk emotions um, a little bit. So a big part of your work is teaching people how to process their emotions. Um, mm -hmm. And I find that super valuable. And having worked with you, I know how much of a rewarding process it can be. It's a journey I've, I've been on for the past years. Um, and what I did notice as well, um, it does take time. It does take emotional energy, uh, including not just during the sessions, but also afterwards to integrate the process to however you want to call it, you know. Um, and I noticed this, this, you know, this, this is very energy and time intensive. And the, the reality is we have lives to lead. We have things to do. We're busier and busier. Um, and I feel this type of emotional work, given the demands of the societies that um, we, we, we live in, if, if, if busyness is one of the values that we hold, it's almost impossible, you know, and I feel almost resentful about this because I feel on the one hand, you know, we do need that time to just be, just, just I feel it's such an important thing of being a human being, you know, uh, and to process and to be with our emotions. Um, and especially after going through a worldwide pandemic, I feel we'll, we all have this emotional backlog we just need to go through, you know, um, and in addition to our individual one. And on the one hand, I would say, yeah, we all need to claim our time, you know, like craft the time and do it. And then I know that there, there are uh, systemic even inequalities in place that, you know, mean not everyone has the luxury to do that. Um, so I find myself frustrated. How, how can people who either don't have the time or don't have the financial resources to, to, to work on to do their emotional work to work with a specialist such as yourself which is very needed what can they do to make progress there to help themselves what are your thoughts on that mm. i very much resonate with what you said and i also always i do believe in a way that yes it's our individual work but it's also collective work and of course there's impediments that really some of us can't get away from so yes the, the systemic oppressions and lots more other factors and yes for some people it's not easy and I and I truly understand that one thing in a way that anyone can do is just to well a few things very important to come to our senses because every time we notice we either get into an emotional spiral or we're we're not here if we're not here so if we don't have both feet on the in the present into the here we probably have either both feet in the past or one in the past and one in the future and we're definitely mm -hmm. not in the present mm -hmm. so one of them is really important to come back to the senses and really coming to notice the feet on the ground my heart beating really checking that i'm all i'm all here so all of the sense tactile sensing hearing seeing everything one of them second of all is to sometimes it's really asking ourselves just noticing where i am on a physical level emotional 
mental, energetic, spiritual level. And if only if it feels easier to name that. Because only even through the process of noticing and naming, it really helps to settle. It really helps us to settle and really come back into ourselves. And another thing, just to really, I would say one of the processes that I do is, yes, like an emotional release, emotional processing process. Um, but it's about verbalization and really allowing ourselves to, to speak out loud. Because we spend a lot of time into our mind, but because we spend a lot of time there, we don't actually hear ourselves what we say. So to begin in a safe space, conversations with ourselves to speak it out loud. Because when we speak it out loud, we begin to hear ourselves. It's like, oh, blimey, was I really thinking that or saying that? Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and also not to be afraid. And I know this is the same coming back in a way to spirituality and perhaps some of the new age is this idea of we should always be happy, joyful, love. Yes, love is the ultimate nirvana for everyone. We want to, it's important just to want to go into that state because as a space of pure connection, of joy, of creation, of everything. But at the same time, it's not only love or anything. We have a full spectrum of emotions not to be afraid to experiment with all of them. So anytime we experience something, a strong emotion, or whatever we are on our, on our journey, either spiritual or physical or mental, not to be to really notice how we're relating to ourselves and not to relate to ourselves from a place of fear, but more from a place of curiosity. And I always say that curiosity is a very underrated skill. And of course, curiosity... It was something that none of us learned. And also we learned from history that perhaps it's not okay to be that curious. So in a way, coming back to the conversation in terms of science and spirituality, people that were at the forefront of new discoveries, they did it from a place of curiosity. But there were times when that was very, very unsafe. Mm -hmm. So many people have even lost their lives, sacrificed their lives. Because they were curious. And you know in English the saying, curiosity killed the cat. Mm. So there is also a belief that, oh, curiosity, mm -mm, I better stay away from it. <laughs> so that's why I say curiosity it is an um, underrated skill. The more we practice that muscle of curiosity about ourselves, about our experience, really helps us to see ourselves differently. Mm. And also to really see why do we want to do this? Because also our inner work, it's a gift that we give to ourselves. And it's a gift that helps us be present. And when we're present, we notice more. We're more open. And that's when things emerge. Things come our way. And also what I would say is the more we work with ourselves, I also say from a spiritual perspective, we can attain and we can connect with higher realms, with be more spiritual, the more we work with the body. So spirituality is not only from here upwards, it's actually like a channel, a microcosmic, through the body back up. It's, that's beautiful. And I, you, you 
you basically just answered my next question because I wanted to ask what is what is spirituality to you so I don't know if you want to add anything there but when you when you think spirituality and God what do these things um, mean for you personally Whew, many things that they continue to develop um, as a background I am Christian Orthodox um, I the first thing I want to say, I was very religious. I am, but different now. Um, strong Christian beliefs. Um, but over the years, I have also changed my perception. I still believe in a in God, name it God, universe, the divine, or like one of my teachers calls it, the more, which I really, really love. Um, and I know that it's more perhaps than we are being taught in some textbooks. It is what I've also learned that it's a deeply the same personal experience. But what I have found is there are deeper levels to experience that when we are more connected with ourselves and with the earth. And one of the things that I the way I like to, to explain it in terms of spirituality, Mother Earth, or where I am, imagine an infinity loop. And I am, personally, I believe I, I'm in that middle. And there is the Earth, and there's the universe. And I'm in the middle, and it's constantly, and it's the Earth through me and the universe. And I'm always here in the middle. And when I allow myself to open to both the upper world and the underworld and the present I get to experience myself the world and everything around me differently that's beautiful and a beautiful visual to keep in mind as well and I want now to for us to project a little bit a little bit more into the future so though imagine it's 50 years from now um, and we're looking at trauma work and how it's conducted. How do you hope that trauma work will look like in 50 years? Mm. Thank you for asking this question because actually my mission, my, yeah, my deep mission is to help us to become a trauma-informed society. Mm. Society, not societies. We're all under one, under one roof, basically. <laughs> um, what does it look like? First of all, is to really be attuned to our own needs and to the needs of others. To really be be present to what it is, and also not to be afraid of what's emerging and all of the challenges that we have and to really go back to the basics. Going back to the basics is that the same, you know, that infinity loop where we're in the middle, where we deeply connect with resources, with nature, with the elements. And at the same time, connecting to the skies, to the more, to anything that's around there. And the same, in terms of the, the trauma, our ancestors, they experienced a lot of trauma since day one, since millennia. 
But I personally think that they had a different relationship to it. They were, they were not afraid of it. But why? It's because they had rituals. They had communities where they would all sit and grieve. And also the process of grieving, it's about having stories, mm. storytelling, where we make sense of what happened. Singing, dancing, writing, drawing. But of course, all of these things, especially in the Western society, I couldn't, I poo-pooed, I can't say that, nah, I will do that later or never. So the more we help ourselves to make sense of what is happening at an individual level and a collective level, it will really help us to transform the world and to access more of the spiritual side as well. Beautiful. Is there something that um, y you would, I haven't asked you about, but you'd like to share with our listeners? It could be an insight, an experience, book recommendations, whatever comes to you. <sighs> whatever comes to me. Um, hmm. Also from a personal uh, experience, um, especially in a way if anyone's on a, on a healing journey or especially health, health healing journey or trauma recovery, is to the same to really help us to connect to, to the good stuff. To never forget to access joy, because that is part of us. So no matter how much inner work we do, even spiritual or physical, anything, to go there, but also to come on the other side. So it's the same, going into the underworld, basically being like Persephone, which was Hades' wife. She was spending six months in the underworld and six months in the upper world with her mother. A bit like that. So never to forget, not to go too much into one area or too much into the other area, to pendulate between the two. And always remember, we're in the middle, we're here, we're present, and being present to life. Wonderful. Now, my last question for you is, where can our listeners find you? Uh, my favorite platform on Instagram, at uh, Theodora Pyle, or my website, theodorapyle.com. Excellent. We will have that in the show notes. Um, and so I wanted to express my gratefulness to you for being here today, for being in this space and co-creating this discussion, um, this beautiful discussion. I, I, I really enjoyed the time with you. And I want to thank you for sharing your time, your knowledge and your wisdom. Um, with us today it was a pleasure to have you on likewise thank you very much for the invitation it was a beautiful conversation and yeah thank you for all that you shared in the experience and the questions and everything and just on a final note in terms of because uh, i'm an avid reader in terms of book recommendations if uh, if uh, if that's okay absolutely uh, my because also we were talking about some scientific research in science and science um, and spirituality one thing that really i absolutely love is real magic 
by Dean uh, Radin and Radan Radin. Sorry, I can't pronounce his surname. But I I really, really love that book in terms of going through the history, where we've been, how we got here, and where we're going. That's one. Um, another one is Oliver Sacks, River of Consciousness. Um, really, really great. Uh, another one is Cured by Jeff Rediger, the one I, I mentioned with spontaneous healing. And like Gabor Mate say, a spontaneous he healing, most of it, it's not necessarily spontaneous. It's a totally different relationship with ourselves, which is a key, important aspect. And um, another one, Otto Scharmer, A Theory of You. And I, yeah, and, and Presence by him as well which is, he talks about creating from the future as it emerges, which is a beautiful title. Wow. Um, to our listeners, uh, we'll have this in the show notes. And if you want to see the books that Theo is reading, she, she is an avid book reader and her stories are full of wonderful book recommendations. So if you follow her on Instagram, um, you, you will definitely see more uh, very worthy book features. Um, thank you so, so much, Del. Um, I appreciate you and it was a pleasure to have you on. Likewise, thank you.